two passages of scripture. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Matthew chapter 9, verses 22, 23 to 25. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And then Matthew 9, 23 to 25. I'm reading both of these in the New King James Version. This is what it says. Starting with Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, and saw the flute players in the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Verse 25, But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I forgot to light our candles tonight. Our Advent candles, somebody gave me a lesson on how to use a cigarette lighter. <laughs> Thank God I got no experience. But we just lit the candle of hope, the candle of love, the candle of joy, the candle of peace. And now the candle of Advent, which is the candle of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Advent wreath is now complete. Two stories come to mind. First story that comes to mind is uh, when I was, you can tell me how old I was, when I got braces. I had braces, yes. 11, 11 12, 12 years old. I needed them very badly. My mouth was a mess. I had teeth that were boxing each other out for position like they were playing basketball. But these were old school braces. These were not like the, the new, the, you know, the newer technology like Invisalign. They didn't have that back then. So what they actually had to do was take a strip of steel or some type of metal and wrap it around each individual tooth. And then they had to like weld a, a, um, a cable. And it was, it was very taxing. But the first thing they had to do was make space between one tooth and another. They could not install the braces without first making space. So I went in that first day and I thought I was going to get braces, but instead I got spacers. And spacers was when they would take a little piece of wire and jam it between each tooth. It was very painful. First night, I had a headache, couldn't sleep. But it got a little easier and a little easier and a little easier each way, each day. And when I went back after a couple of weeks, it didn't hurt anymore. Not only did it not hurt, but there was enough space between each tooth in order to install the braces. And they put the braces on with no problem. And uh, praise the Lord, I needed those braces. That was, that was needed technology. You know, sometimes making space is painful. Sometimes you go to God for a miracle and instead he gives you some spacers. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Second story that comes to mind is an author by the name of Ann Patchett. I recently listened to a podcast episode in which she talked about her creative process when she's writing a novel. And she said the first thing she does is she thinks. I mean, she doesn't write anything down for like six months. And she'll take like hours out of every day and just sit and think. She'll go to a park and sit and think. She'll sit on her deck and think. She just tries to carve time out of every day just to think. And what she's thinking through is not only the plot, but the characters. And it's not until all the whole plot and every character comes together in her mind that she starts to sense that it's coming time to write. I'm going to have to write pretty soon. And she said what she does instinctively when she knows that the time to write is at hand is she instinctively starts to clear space in her office. She says, I organize my entire office, every paper, every paper clip. I put it in its proper place. I clear stuff off my desk. I put books away. I hide stuff. I put box stuff in boxes and put it in the garage. And then I go through my email account. I respond to every, every single email. I clear my schedule. I make sure there's no appointments. I clear space. And it's only when the space is created, yeah. the writing process begins. I want to talk to you tonight about making space because this was the great crisis of the Christmas story that they arrive in Bethlehem which was the place that it was prophesied more than 600 years prior that they would arrive so they had 600 years notice but they still weren't ready when he finally got there it said that there was no room in the inn there was room for everything and everyone but Jesus. There was no room. The King of kings and Lord of lords had arrived, but there was no room for him. The King of kings and Lord of lords showed up ready to save, but there was no room for him. The King of kings and Lord of lords showed up with power over death and hell and the grave, but there was no room for him. You so, see, so often Jesus shows up in our lives ready to do some stuff that we just don't have any room for. Yeah, yeah. I love the song we sang, let every heart prepare him room. Yeah, yeah. You, meaning you need some spacers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let every heart prepare him room. You need to set some spacers in place. And sometimes spacers are painful. We don't like spacers because they're painful. Making room for Jesus is not an easy process. You see, we've been taught for so long that all you have to do is say a magical prayer, and then for the rest of your life, you're a Christian. As long as you repeat it after me and said the prayer, you can go on about your way, and nothing in your life has to change, and that is not the truth. Yes, maybe when you pray the prayer in faith, it can change your eternal destiny. But making room for the actual Jesus in your actual life to show his actual glory, to reveal his actual power, to show up in his actual presence, it takes some making room. Some stuff has to move. There was room at the inn for dignitaries of that time, but there was no room for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the interesting thing is that if they were to, 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 to have a list of every dignitary that was there that night, and they read it, you wouldn't recognize a single name. Yeah. All the people that were so important that they filled up all the space, 
in the scheme of things, were completely unimportant. The only one who was important was the only one that they didn't have room for. And if you and I were to sit and write a list of the stuff in our lives that prevents us from surrendering fully to Jesus, all the stuff that we think is important, at the end of your life, you're going to look back and realize that that was completely unimportant, that there was only one thing that was important, and that you should have been willing to let go of everything else for this one thing, to know him, to be found in him. There's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, the days draw nigh in which thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. What's the point? The point is that Solomon is speaking to the young people of his generation, and he's saying the best course of action that you can take is to make your creator your number one priority now before you look back on your life and say, why did I waste so many years on worthless stuff? Make room. There was no room in the inn, but the point is that Jesus just needs space, not clean space, just space. Not good space, just space. Not nice space, just space. You see, the one, the one message of the gospel is that making room for Jesus does not entail cleaning up your life before you come to him. Making yourself presentable to him before you come to him. Making yourself better before you come to him. You do not have to show yourself presentable. He just needs space. Let him in the house. Make space in the house. Don't try to clean the house first. He doesn't need nice space. He just needs space. Now there's another story here in the Gospels that that we find that illustrates this beautifully. And we find it in in Matthew chapter 9. We also find it in Mark chapter 5. And we also find it in Luke chapter 8. It's the story of this guy named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus because his daughter is deathly ill. And uh, Jesus says, all right, I'll come here. That Jesus is stopping on the way. I mean, your daughter's going to die any minute. Ever felt like God just didn't have time for you? He got sidetracked by other things. He doesn't have time for your prayer. He doesn't have time for your concern. Something else, Jairus must have felt like he must have forgot that I'm in an urgent situation here. And suddenly, after he finishes dealing with the woman with the issue of blood, and they turn to complete their journey to Jairus' house, some of Jairus' friends meet him, and they say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. She's already dead. It's too late. And this is my wife's life verse. And it's written on my shirt. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus turned to Jairus and said, Don't be afraid. Just believe. So they complete the journey. A hopeless journey because she's already dead. You ever been in the midst of something that just felt hopeless? I don't know why I'm still going, but I kind of have to still go. I don't know why I'm still there, but I guess I kind of have to. I mean, if Jesus is going to your house, even if you feel hopeless about the journey, you still got to go. I mean, that's the direction you're going anyway. Some of us find ourselves on a hopeless journey with Jesus. I don't have any faith for anything on the other end, but Jesus is going there, so I guess I'll go too. 
They get to the house, and when they walk in, the scripture says when they, when they had come into the house, Jesus saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing noisily. And he says, make room. I think he shouts, make room. The word in the Greek, anakorete. Say that, anakorete. Parents, you can use that. You need your kids to get anakorete. Get up out of here. <laughs> Literally in the Greek, it means be thou upspacing. Yeah. Be thou upspacing. Literally, get up out my space. Yeah. I preached a sermon on this verse years ago, and I called it back up off my grill. Yeah. So he's back up off my grill. Get up, get up out my space. But actually, there's, there's two levels to this command. Because Jesus follows this command with an interpretation of the moment, a countercultural interpretation of the moment. Be thou upspacing, make room. They have a choice. They can make room in their hearts for the perspective of Jesus, or they can reject the perspective of Jesus. And the scripture says, they laughed him to scorn. The word there in the Greek says they down laughed him. Jesus said, be thou up spacing, and they down laughed him. Jesus is calling them higher, but they go lower. Jesus is calling them to open their heart, and they close their heart even further. Jesus is calling them to open their mind, and they close their mind even further. They cling to their natural interpretation of things instead of opening their heart to the possibility that Jesus has a supernatural interpretation of things that's higher than my natural interpretation of things. That I look at a reality and say, this is all bad, and I hear Jesus say, it's all good. Do I accept my reality or his reality? They had a choice. He was inviting them to make room in their hearts, and they refused So the next thing he had to do was put them out of the room. Jesus doesn't put anybody out of the room that he doesn't first invite to put unbelief out of their heart. And it said, and when the crowd had been put outside, Mm. now there was room for the miracle. Now there was room for the miracle. You see, for so many of us, Jesus is ready to work miracles that we just don't have room for. We don't have space for the miracle. But now that the crowd has been put outside, there's room for the miracle. It wasn't that the people had to be put outside. It was that the unbelief had to be put outside. It wasn't that the people had to be put outside. It was the accusation against Jesus that had to be put outside. It wasn't the people who had to be put outside. It was the finger pointed at Jesus that says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing. That has to be put out of the room before Jesus works the miracle. You and I have got some work to do making room in our hearts because we've allowed these voices to reside in our hearts that point the finger at Jesus and say, you don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't the sadness that had to be put out. I want to make this very clean, very, very clear. That when Jesus says make room, he is not saying stop being sad. 
Because God wants you to know that when you come to the kingdom, when you come to him, when you come to faith in him, you can bring all of your emotions with you. It's not about not feeling certain emotions. Well, if you really had faith, you would never feel sad. Wrong. Just look at John chapter 11 when Jesus stands at the tomb of his own friend, Lazarus, whom he knows he's going to raise from the dead. In about 15 minutes, he still weeps at the tomb. He still takes time to weep and to mourn and to cry. Why? Because he looks into the eyes of Mary and Martha and knows that the miracle will not erase the experience of watching their brother die. He knows that real pain has already been experienced. He knows that real trauma has already been experienced. And so he looks into their eyes and he does not say, cheer up, I'm getting ready to give you a miracle. Instead, he weeps with them. He mourns with them. And this is what the incarnation of Jesus is all about. It's about him entering into our plight and lifting, it, uh, lifting us out of it from within. It's not about him looking down on our plight and saying, you should do better. Yeah. It's not the sadness that has to go. But sometimes in the midst of our sadness, an accusation against God can be born. One of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is the ability to embrace deep sadness without accusing God even embracing deep sadness around things that I cannot understand without accusing God without calling him a liar saying God I don't get this this is what Psalm 22 is all about my God my God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from hearing me in the words of my groaning I cry out by day but you don't hear and by night and to no avail but I know that you are the Holy One, the one enthroned in the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. But I'm a worm and not a man. You read Psalm 22. He goes from his experience, his pain, to the truth about who God is, back to his pain, back to the truth, back to his pain, back to the truth. And both are actually true, and both are actually real, and neither negates the other. There's something on the inside of us that says, if my pain is real, then God must not be. And that's not correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not saying, put your sadness outside. Yeah. He was saying, go outside with that accusation. Go outside with that ridicule. Let me say to you that as long as you are living in the place of cynicism, as long as you are living in the place of unbelief, as long as you've got the finger pointed at Jesus, you will always live outside of the house when the miracle is happening inside of the house. The only way you come into the house is if you put down the finger and set it aside and open your heart to the possibility that he's got something more than what you can see and more than what you can understand. The miracle was happening, but the mourners couldn't see it, not because they were mourning, but because they could not hear a word from Jesus in the midst of their mourning that offered them a different interpretation of their present circumstance. Make room. Make room. Listen, when you experience fear, I'm not saying don't experience fear. I'm saying in the midst of your fear, make room for God to speak a word that's something other than what you see. Because so often we're mourning. Listen, I, I lost my keys three weeks ago. Two and a half weeks ago. I've been looking, searching everywhere for those keys, praying for those keys, scared to death to tell my wife that I lost my keys. And today I, could, I had to tell her today. 
I had to. Why? Because she said, we're going to the P.O. box today because we haven't been there in three weeks. And I said, um, that would require a key. She's like, yes, that is correct. That would require a key. Where, where are your keys? I might have lost them. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I saw it hit her, you know, that, that shock and anger and disgust and all of that, all of that stuff. Did you look for it? Of course I looked for it. I've been looking for it for two and a half weeks now. Did you check your backpacks? Of course I, go bring me your backpacks right now. And I brought her my backpacks, and she, she said, you know how embarrassing it is when you just search something and your wife says, bring it to me, because I know you really don't be looking right. <laughs> now go to your car and search your car. I said, baby, I went through every pocket, every drawer, every con- compartment in my vehicle. It's not there. And, and so we're walking around the house, and she sees these keys sitting, and she goes, what are those? I said, those are other keys. Those are some other, that's another set. That's my other set. That's not the ones. And she picks it up, and she's like, does, this looks like the P.O. Box key, and I looked at it and was like, oh, those are my keys. I never lost them. They were sitting right there the whole time. I just, I lost them in my mind, not in my reality. I was looking right at them going, I've lost my keys. Ain't that just like a Christian? Looking right at your blessing going, I lost my blessing. Praying for it and it's right in your face. You just haven't identified it yet. And sometimes the Lord simply has to come into your life and point it out and say the blessing you've been crying out for is right there. I think I just prophesied to some single people in the house right now. I'm not going to say no. I'm not looking at nobody. Peter, James, and John were the only ones that Jesus allowed in the room. Why? And Jairus. They were the only ones who were willing to make room in their hearts. Make space. Open it up. You can be open-minded about everything except Jesus. I mean, open-mindedness is a virtue in our culture until it comes to the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the word of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the fact that Jesus might be able to do something, the fact that Jesus might be here, that he might be willing to show his glory and his power in some way. We make zero room for that. We start mourning immediately. We are so quick to mourn, to conclude that there's no hope, that it's all over. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, I picked my daughter up from school, and it was her last day before, it was her last day before the Christmas break. And she was like second grade or something like that. And she handed me her report card. It was still in the envelope, and I opened it up. And uh, I, she said, let me see it. And I handed it back to her because I was driving. And uh, she's reading, and she goes, Summer school recommended. Ah! And she starts screaming and crying. And she's crying. Her whole summer's ruined. It was the end of the. It was right before summer break. And we got home, and she's still crying. I mean, she's wailing and crying. And I looked at the paper, and it said summer school recommended, but the box next to it was not checked. 
but it was too late. So I told her, baby, look, it's not checked. You don't have to go to summer school. Ah! She's still, it was too late. She was too deep in the cry. Some of us are still too deep in the cry to hear the Lord say what the enemy intended is not going to happen. No weapon forged against you is going to prosper. It's not going to work. Some of you have been burdened with this lie from the enemy that you're getting ready to die. Some of you think you're going to die in 45 minutes. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because think about it, the enemy's been telling you that for years and you're still alive. Can't you just become a little bit suspicious of that lie? Like it wasn't true last week, it wasn't true last month, it wasn't true five years ago, but you think it's true today? (laughs) And the problem is if you keep believing that lie, eventually one day it will be true. (laughs) I mean, for all of us. A long time from now. But when the Lord speaks and says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Do you realize that if we actually believe that word, our hearts should explode with joy and thanksgiving? That we should live in newness of life and that all we need in order to live in that newness of life is simply to make room for faith to grow. And this is the heart of the message that I have for you tonight. Making room for Jesus practically is way more powerful than you think. My wife, you know why she's here today? Because her sister, when she was out in the world, convinced her to make 10 minutes of room for God every night. She said, all I'm asking you to do is take a journal Read a, read a chapter of scripture, write a verse from that chapter, write a prayer, and tell the Lord how you're feeling. Whatever you want to say to the Lord, just do that every night. It'll take you 10 minutes. And she did it because she told her sister she would do it. Not because she wanted to, not because she believed it, not because she expected anything, just because she told her sister she would do it. What she didn't realize was that making consistent space for God in her life every night, even 10 minutes. And it was manger space because she would come home from the club drunk, but still open up her Bible and make that space for Jesus. That's manger space. I don't have room in the inn, but I got room in the manger. And God says the manger is okay. Manger space where you just got done messing up. Manger space sometimes is when you just got done having a big argument with your wife and you said all kinds of stuff that you know you shouldn't have said, and yes, go pray. Because after that, don't you feel like a hypocrite when you pray after you got in a fight with your wife? Don't you feel like the Lord doesn't want you there? No, he wants you there. The enemy doesn't want you there. The Lord wants you there. He never looks at you as, as a hypocrite for coming to him. Manger space. Even if it's manger space, it's all messed up. I'm going to make space for him in an area of my life that's all messed up, where I failed a million times, where I made a million mistakes. Manger space. Give him space in the manger. He's going to transform that manger. He's going to be born in that manger. That's all he needs is some space. 
Give him space. Give him space. And this is what I hear the Lord saying to us for 2023, that you're going to see his glory to the degree that you make room for his glory in your life. If you make a little room, you're going to see a little glory. If you make a lot of room, you're going to see a lot of glory. If you make no room, you're going to see no glory. Make space. Make room. Let every heart prepare him room. He's got more glory. You just need to make more room. Come on, somebody. Make space. Make space. You know, he's given us this space. He gave us this space a year ago at this time, a space that we never had before. We never had this much room. But you know what? We don't use it enough. We don't use it for prayer meetings. We don't use it to make room. We use it to come together and have our worship service and go on about our business. All of my heart, and it felt like hours had gone by. And I'd look up at the clock, and it was 11.03. <laughs> I ran out of stuff to pray about three minutes in. Yeah. And I thought, oh, Lord, how am I going to make it the next 57 minutes? Do you know how hard that is for a 12-year-old boy? Just sitting there going, oh, Lord, amen. Oh, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I felt, I felt empty. I felt dry. I felt powerless. I felt like unspiritual. I felt like I was distracted. My mind was going in different ways, and I'm trying to pull it back. And then I felt bad for not being able to pray very good. But I didn't realize that just that act of making room every day, something powerful was happening in my heart. And for an entire summer, I went back with her every day, and I made room, and I made room, and I made room. And do you realize that by the end of that summer, the Lord met me in the middle of the night and filled me to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, and I started to pray in tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. That summer changed my life. I'll never forget that encounter, but what comes before the encounter, and what comes before the encounter is making room. Make room. Amen. He's back there. I'd hit a point. He's back there standing up, lifting his hands. Amen. This is the word of the Lord to us this year. That if we would make room, a year from now, you will be astounded by what God will do. A year from now, you will be astounded. It doesn't have to be powerful room. Just make room. This is the thing. My wife has a gift. When she makes a decision, she makes no excuses. So when she decides I'm going to run three miles a day, uh, a day, you know what she realized? That running around our house 20 times is one mile. She'll be out there just... <laughs> and I've got one of those little uh, um, um, motion detectors out there. Every 18 seconds, I pop... <laughs> and I look and it's her, just running, just running... Lap, she'll do 60 laps around the house to get those three miles in. I'm like, no, I got to be at a gym. Here's why I didn't run, because I don't have a membership to a gym. Can't afford a membership to a gym. She just makes, no, no, no. It doesn't have to be nice room. It just has to be room. You know what she did when we lived in a little apartment? She used to run three miles inside the apartment. And Alethe and I would just laugh our heads off. 
We'd be doing our nightly debrief. Every night we pray together, we do our debrief. She'd just be, my day was a seven. And she just went running. I still got two and a half miles to go. Why? Because it was a decision. She realized it doesn't have to be in a gym. It doesn't have to be on a track. It doesn't have to be on a trail. It doesn't have to be in a mountain. It doesn't matter. It's a decision that I'm going to do it. It's not about where. I'm making space. And often we think that way about prayer, don't we? Well, I don't have a place to pray. When we think of a place to pray, it's an altar with nice worship music playing, ambience, and nobody around, nothing on the to-do list. And he doesn't need all that. He doesn't need all that. He doesn't need all that. All he needs is for us to make a decision. I'm going to make him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. He's coming to those who make room for him. He's coming to those who make room for him. He's coming to every heart that makes room for him. He's coming to every heart that makes room for him. You simply got to decide. Are you going to be the crowd that ridicules him? Are you going to be the heart that opens and makes room for him? It's not about believing every, it's not about saying, well, I know he's going to do this and I know he's going to do that. No, 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 no. I, I believe in him. I believe he's coming into my life. He'll decide what he's going to do. I'm making room for him. And when I make room for him, his miracles come with him. When I make room for him, his glory comes with him. When I make room for him, his power comes with him. When I make room for him, his presence comes with him. I make room for Jesus. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now, this is our New Year's resolution. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Lord, my heart will prepare room. My heart will make room. My heart will make room. My heart will make room. And even right now, in my heart, I push aside my cynicism. I push aside my unbelief. I push aside that wicked heart of unbelief that turns from the living God. That heart that points the finger at you and makes accusations against you. I push that aside tonight in the name of Jesus. And I make room. I make room. I make room in the midst of my fear. I make room in the midst of my doubt. Teach us, Father, to make room. Every time we're struck with fear and hopelessness and doubt, that we would be suspicious of those lies. And in the midst of them, make room. Make room. Lord, I make, I make space for you. I make, I make space for you to show me something different. Show me that I actually haven't lost my keys. I make space for you. I make room for you. Right now, in Jesus' name, just, just take a moment and just, just soak in that right now, in Jesus' name.